On today's episode, we continue our journey through Grimm's fairy tales with a story titled The Nightingale and the Blind Worm. My name is Zach Stewart, and these are the Shadow Bear Story Sessions. Welcome to the Shadow Bear Story Sessions, the podcast where we dig into the folk tales, fairy tales, myths, and legends that made the world what it is. And we pick apart just how insanely dark and accidentally hilarious these stories really are. So, today's episode, The Nightingale and the Blind Worm, let's get right into it. Once upon a time, there lived a nightingale and a blind worm, each with one eye. For a long time, they lived together peacefully and harmoniously in a house. So just like the cat and mouse, again, we've got a predator and their natural prey deciding to be roommates. Running theme in all these folktales. We continue. However, one day, the nightingale was invited to a wedding. There are a lot of parallels with this cat and mouse tale already. Episode 2, I believe, Companionship of the Cat and Mouse. The cat was getting invited to fake christenings all the time. This nightingale is getting invited to what appears to be a real wedding. So we continue. However, one day, the nightingale was invited to a wedding, and she said to the blind worm, I've been invited to a wedding, and don't particularly want to go with one eye. Would you be so kind as to lend me yours? I'll bring it back to you tomorrow. So does no one know that the nightingale has one eye? And apparently you can just pop these eyes in and out as you like. The blind worm gave her the eye out of the kindness of her heart. But when the nightingale came home the following day, she liked having two eyes in her head and being able to see on both sides. Which is very understandable, can't blame her for that. So she refused to return the borrowed eye to the blind worm. What a dick. Then the blind worm swore that she would avenge herself on the nightingale's children and the children of her children. All right, two paragraphs in, and we already have a scorned roommate swearing vengeance on their roommate's children and children's children. Well, replied the nightingale, see if you can find me. The gauntlet is thrown. I'll build my nest in the linden. So high, so high. So high, you'll never be able to find it, no matter how hard you try. So this nightingale is taunting the worm in rhyme. Stole the worm's eye, refused to give it back. Now she's taunting her. Awful. Ever since that time, all the nightingales have had two eyes, and all the blind worms none. But wherever the nightingale builds her nest... A blind worm lives beneath it in the bushes and constantly tries to crawl up the tree, pierce the eggs of her enemy, and drink them up. That's it. That's the whole thing. Wow, really short. So just a nice, short, sweet tale of vengeance. We're going to have to do two stories this episode. No problem there. So pretty simple, this one. Just four paragraphs. Nightingale and Blindworm live together. Once again, horrible roommate situation. They each have one eye, which I didn't know was the origins of either of those species. Then the worm is nice, because the nightingale is going to a wedding. But the nightingale says, hey, you know, I like having two eyes. Screw you, worm. You're going to be blind forever. Also, 
The story starts off calling the worm a blind worm, even when that worm has one eye. Not technically a blind worm, just as blind as the nightingale at that point, each one-eyed creatures. I don't really think this counts as foreshadowing here. You're just giving the damn thing away. Although respect to the blind worm for immediately ratcheting this up into a generations-long war, saying that the blind worm's children and children's children will constantly be out for revenge. Then the nightingale just says, Fine, you won't be able to find me, because I'll be up in the trees, and you're a worm. Is this a thing, though? Do worms try and crawl up trees to drink the eggs of birds? Is that a thing that worms do? I was not aware of this. If any listeners could shed some light on this, on whether there are carnivorous worms that target birds' nests, please let me know, because I would love to have some more information on this. All right, let's adapt this thing. So, going to be live action, going to be real people, going to make it roommates again, we're going to make it Ryan Gosling as the nightingale. Let's flip that around. Ryan Gosling is the blind worm, and the nightingale is... Tom Hiddleston. Tom Hiddleston is the nightingale. So they're roommates. Tom Hiddleston needs to go to a wedding of a relative, but he doesn't have enough money to get there, so he asks his roommate, Ryan Gosling, to give him the other half of the money, and he'll pay him back. Because, you know, they're not super well off, but they have enough money to, to just to get by. And Tom Hiddleston says, don't worry, when I get back, I'll get some money from my folks so I can give you the money back and pay back and it'll all be fine. But when he leaves, Tom Hiddleston just leaves. He takes the money, he starts some type of drug empire, and just leaves Ryan Gosling behind, totally abandons him. Ryan Gosling gets kicked out of his apartment, living on the street, totally destitute, and the rest of the story is just a revenge tale of Ryan Gosling trying to track down and ultimately kill Drug Lord Tom Hiddleston. <laughs> or Crime Lord Tom Hiddleston. I'm, I'm into it. So it becomes a revenge tale slash mafia movie. Definitely a movie, not a series. Love it. Alright. That was pretty quick. It's a very short one. So we're going to do another one. Rolling it right in to a story called The Stolen Pennies. Let's not waste any time. Let's get into it. The Stolen Pennies. One day, a father was sitting at the table with his wife and children and a good friend who was visiting him, and they were having their noonday meal. As they were sitting there, the clock struck twelve, and the visitor saw the door open and a pale child dressed in snow-white clothes entered. He didn't look around or say anything, but went silently to the next room. Shortly thereafter, he returned and went away just as quietly as he had entered. On the second and third day, the child came again. Finally, the visitor asked the father who the beautiful child was that entered the room every day at noon. The father answered that he knew nothing about him. He hadn't seen anything. All right, already way into this. Love it. Phenomenal act one. We continue. The next day, as the clock struck noon... The child entered again, and the visitor pointed the child out to the father, but he didn't see the boy. Neither did the mother nor the children. The visitor stood up, went to the door, 
opened it a little, and looked inside. There he saw the pale child sitting on the floor, digging and rummaging in the cracks of the boards. However, as soon as the child noticed the visitor, he disappeared. Now the visitor told the family what he had seen and gave an exact description of the boy. The mother was then able to recognize the child and said, Alas, it's my own dear child who died four weeks ago. Very recently. Wow, okay. The visitor should know this. Especially if it's a good friend. Anyway. Then they ripped up the boards of the floor and found two pennies that the boy had received from his mother at one time to give to a poor man. But the child had thought... You can buy yourself a biscuit for that. Therefore, he had kept the pennies and had hidden them in the cracks of the floor. This is why he hadn't been able to rest in his grave and had come back every day at noon to look for the pennies. So the parents gave the money to a poor man, and after the little child was never seen again. The end. Yet again, another very short one. Alright, I like the way this starts out. It starts out creepy as hell. Super into it. Ghost child. No one sees it except this one visitor, who realistically, as I said, should know that this friend of his recently lost a child. Four weeks ago, a month. Very recent. Child is clawing and digging in the cracks of the floorboards. Comes back once a day. Once every day. And what's Ghost Kid up to the rest of the day? He just comes here at noon every day. But he enters through the door and then leaves, other than the one day that he disappears. But he's coming back at noon every day, so what is this ghost kid up to the other 23 hours in the day? Maybe our visitor should have followed the ghost kid one of the other days, seen what happens, seen where he goes. What are ghost kids up to when they're not going back to get the money they hid when they were alive? And then apparently, they find the pennies and they know immediately, oh, he was going to give them to the poor man, but then just decided, you can buy yourself a biscuit for that? How do they know that this child was saving this money for biscuits? They didn't consult. We're not hearing this from the child, from the ghost kid. This is just the mother or the father thinking, oh, he was always into biscuits. He must have thought he could buy some biscuits and decided not to give the money to the poor man. So then they assume that he's trying to get at the money to make something right. To, to right the wrong of not giving his charity money to charity. And so then they right to the wrong, give the money to the poor man, and he's never seen again. They're kind of assuming there's an altruistic message here. So the message, clearly, is that if you do wrong or if you act selfishly, then your soul won't be able to rest in the afterlife. But we don't actually know that that's what the little boy wants, the ghost kid. We don't know that that's why the kid's returning. Maybe the kid's returning to use the money for something else. Maybe he's trying to buy some ghost biscuits. Maybe the little boy has a ghost gambling problem, and he's like, oh, I got some pennies. If I can get at those pennies, I can keep this rolling. So they might be giving this ghost kid a little too much credit. Starts anyway, starts off great, goes a little weak partway through the second act. Doesn't really resolve, kind of wraps up pretty quickly. And then the kid never comes back. Maybe the kid never comes back just because the pennies aren't there anymore. Maybe he didn't actually want the pennies to go to the poor man, but now that they're not there, there's no point in coming back and trying to get them and using it on whatever cool ghost activities the kid wants to do. So yeah, I think the real message here is don't assume we know ghosts' intentions. Don't assume ghosts have good intentions. Maybe ghost kids are assholes just like they were in life. Maybe the kid's regretful that he never used that money on biscuits. He clearly intended to, 
but he never did. He was just saving it. He was just hoarding his biscuit money. Maybe he was an enterprising young lad and was saving it for a business that he had planned. Who knows? I'm just saying, let's not jump to the conclusion that this is guilt that is drawing this kid, this ghost kid back. All right, so let's adapt this. For the visitor, we're going to have Clive Owen. For the father, we're going to have Idris Elba. For the mother, we're going to have Lena Headey. I think those three would have the requisite spooky, gravity, drama, chops to pull this off. Yeah, this could either be a movie or it could be a short miniseries. But I'm going to say this basically goes exactly the same as the story, except after the end, Clive Owen is out in the village and he sees the ghost kid's ghost just kicking around still because he's the only one that can see him, and then talks to him and realizes that, hey, the ghost kid didn't actually care about giving the money to a poor man, never actually intended to do that. That's not why he was going there. He wanted to get up to some ghost shenanigans, some shady ghost shit. And then the rest of the series, or the movie, is just Clive Owen trying to teach this kid not to be a little scoundrel and not to be up to no good. Getting up to all his ghost ne'er-do-well business. And then, after all that, when he learns to not be a selfish little ghost asshole, that is when his soul can rest. The end. Alright, we got another really short one before another mildly long one, so let's just do the third. Let's just do three quick hitters in one episode. This one is called The Hand with the Knife. We begin. There was once a little girl who had three brothers, and the boys meant the world to her mother. Yet the little girl was always neglected, treated badly, and forced to go out early in the morning every day to dig up peat from the dry ground on the heath, which they used for making fires and cooking. So two sentences in, we already got a real bleak life for this little girl, and her three asshole brothers are just living it up, the apples of mom's eye. To top it all off, she was given an old blunt shovel to perform this nasty work. So shit's just real rough for this little girl. But the little girl had an admirer, who was an elf, and lived in a hill near her mother's house. Whenever she went by the hill, he would stretch out his hand from the rocky slope and offer her a knife that had miraculous powers and could cut through anything. She used this knife to cut out the peat and would finish her work quickly. Then she would return home happily with the necessary load. And when she walked by the rocky slope, she would knock twice, and the hand would reach out and take back the knife. So they're not meeting face to face, this is just a hand out of a rock interaction. I already see a very obvious area that is ripe for misunderstanding and error of some kind. When the mother noticed how swiftly and easily she came back home with the peat, she told the girl's brothers that there must be someone helping her. Otherwise, it would be impossible for her to complete the work so fast. Why is that a problem? Who cares if someone's helping her? Great, you just get your stuff faster, she can come back and do more work. Why are you angry about this? So the brothers crept after her and watched her receive the magic knife. They overtook her and forced her to give it to them. Then they returned to the rocky slope, knocked the way she had always done, and when the good elf stretched out his hand... 
They cut it off with his very own knife. The bloody arm drew back, and since the elf believed that his beloved had betrayed him, he was never seen after that. The end. That's it. That's the end of the story. What a fucking bleak one that is, my goodness. God, what the hell is the lesson there? Oh, I need to to take a breath after this one, Jesus. Okay, so, pretty easy to sum up here. Little girl has a horrible life, horrible brothers, and a horrible mother who seems to relish her suffering. And apparently it is unacceptable that she finishes her manual labor that has made needlessly more difficult by using a blunt shovel quickly, and so she sends so the mother sends the brothers to see what's going on. The one positive in this little girl's life is that she happens to have made friends with this elf that lives in a big rock, in a big hill. Don't know how she made friends with this elf because they've never met face to face. Elf gives the knife through it. She says thanks. Maybe this elf is just clearly a very kind elf. Just took pity on her. Like, man, this girl is sad as fuck. I need to help her out however I can. How effective would a knife be at cutting peat out of the ground? She's using a shovel most of the time. Wouldn't you be digging it up out of the ground? How good is a knife for that? Just be stabbing the ground. Anyway, it's an elf knife, so apparently it's magical. It's probably very effective. We're just going to gloss over that. But then one day the brothers overtake her, just overpower her. There is a little bit of an error here in that in the timeline of the story, the boys never actually see her do the knock. She does that at the end of the day. So they would have had to have watched her for a full day to see this, to see her return the knife and do the two knocks. But anyway, I guess we can forgive that. There's a lot more going on in this story. They overtake her, take the knife, knock on the rock, straight up, cut the elf's hand off. And then that's the end. Apparently the little girl is just now miserable, and the brothers have this all-powerful knife that can cut through anything. So if anything... We're worse off than before. Now not only are the brothers and the mother complete unrepentant assholes, but they have a super-powered knife as well. That can only end badly. I don't even know what the intended lesson could be here. Watch your back? Yeah, maybe it's cover your tracks. If you're gonna be deceptive, take the requisite amount of time. She could still cut the peat, but then just spend the rest of the day hanging out. Maybe playing rock, paper, scissors with the elf in the hill. Then wait for a reasonable amount of time to have passed, and then you can go back without causing any suspicion. So yeah, I don't know. I guess the intended message is cover your tracks, watch your back. Maybe the real lesson is that she should have just taken the knife and used it on her terrible brothers and mother and taken care of the problem before it got worse. She should have seen what else the elf could do to maybe get her out of this whole situation. Elf seems powerful. Elf seems cool. Live with Elf. Don't live with terrible family. Live with Elf. Live with Knife Elf. Knife Elf sounds cool. Live with Knife Elf. That would actually be a great name for the adaptation of this. Knife Elf. Knife Elf is going to be played by Charlie Day. I feel like he would be an awesome Knife Elf from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, among many other things. And Little Girl would be played by... I don't know, a little girl. Find a little girl actress. Oh, Stranger Things actress. 
Millie Bobby Brown. Is she too old now? I don't care. It's Millie Bobby Brown. The mother will be played by Helena Bonham Carter, because she is awesome. She could be in any of these, really. We'll have her be the mother for this. And the three asshole brothers will be three of the other boys from Stranger Things. Why not? Take your pick of any of them. Aren't there like four? Yeah, there are four other ones. I don't care. Any of, any three of the four will be the three brothers here. Or just all four. Make it a reunion. Have fun with it. Let's do it like we did Stolen Pennies, the previous one, where everything happens exactly the same, except afterwards, the little girl down on her luck and Knife Elf with one hand team up. Maybe Knife Elf's disembodied hand is still alive and is sentient. And so the little girl goes, makes friends with Charlie Day, the Knife Elf, and then they, combined with the disembodied hand, which is now super sneaky and can like sneak in windows and do ninja shit and give them sort of a covert angle, they team up and essentially now have to take down this terrible family who now have the supernatural all-powerful knife. So then it just becomes another revenge story. I love a good revenge story about Knife Elf and Millie Bobby Brown taking vengeance on this terrible, terrible family using a disembodied, sentient hand. And yeah, let's do it. Let's have fun with it. Obviously a comedy horror. I think this one's also a movie. And there you go. Greenlight it, shoot it, print it, make a million fucking bucks off it. Actually, that'd be pretty low in terms of box office, but yeah, that's how we would do it. And send me your own adaptation ideas. I'd love to hear those on Twitter or Instagram. All right, three short, quick hitters this week. Next week, we're moving on to a story titled The Twelve Brothers. Hopefully it's not just the three brothers from the previous story multiplying using the power of the all-powerful knife. Maybe they cut each other up into a bunch of pieces, and now they all have disembodied limbs as well. I wouldn't put it out of the question, because that is the kind of crazy shit that happens in these stories. Thank you so much for listening. Please rate, review, subscribe, tell all your friends. Check us out on Twitter and Instagram, ShadowBearStorySessions.com. Any of those places, say hey, give me some suggestions, some feedback, anything at all. Would love to hear from you. And we will be back next week with the 12 Brothers. My name is Zach Stewart, and these are the Shadow Bear Story Sessions. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.